So I am going to introduce our uh, special not-so-guest this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, and, or if you weren't, um, we got to honor Greg uh, with a, actually the district did. He's been a four-score minister for 25 years. And that's almost as long as I've been alive. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But uh, no, I love Greg. Uh, Greg and I served, just a second, I'm introducing you. Uh, we got to serve on uh, the worship steering team together. And just, it's so funny, it was, he would always joke that, you know, we were the young kids and he was the old man. But what was great is just the pastoral heart that he brought uh, to that group. Not only to us, he would minister to us as a pastor, but just the way that he would think about worship and think about the, the people was very pastoral. And I think that was such a, a wonderful part of what he brought. And I'm so excited to hear him. And he's got his wife coming up. So would you please welcome Greg and Maureen Thatcher this morning? Am I doing communion? No, okay. Well, I'm only here as a commercial. That's it. A yeah, good-looking commercial, too, I might have. I didn't even have to pay him to say that. Did you guys have a great Thanksgiving? Yeah? Well, I'm here to confess that I have, like, a thing in my head about the perfect Thanksgiving. Anybody, since uh, lots of you seen, see the same commercials I do, do you have the, something in your mind about the perfect Thanksgiving dinner? No? Nobody? I met the lone person with the fantasy holiday thing. What I wanted to tell you is that um, after hearing Justine and Eric and uh, Pastor Kurt the last few weeks, um, my heart had kind of been changed or irritated. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, you know, six months ago we were supposed to be going down to our, <coughs> excuse me, our oldest son's house in California with our other kids and uh, grandkids. Well. I don't know, maybe four months ago, my daughter said, oh, that's not going to work. It's all different. Now we're going to go down to Christmas. I can't do Christmas. That's my big fantasy holiday, so i, I got to be with my siblings and things like that. <clears throat> and, you know, of course, only your daughter can give you the withering glance of, Mom, what's more important? <laughs> well, to kind of hurry it up down the line, we um, started getting some changes almost weekly about what was going to happen for Thanksgiving. Now... I have this thing in my head, all of our family together. You should know that Greg and I both come from huge families, so if we were all, all together, there'd be 75 of us. <laughs> well, there's no reality in fantasy anyway. Guys have fantasy football, women have fantasy holidays, and if you think that's not true, if you went to Safeway at 6 o'clock the night before Thanksgiving and heard women bashing cards, I need an 18-pound turkey! It was hilarious, it really was, but... We decided that, um, well, our youngest, uh, Drew, had asked us to come to his house, a.k.a. the frat house, for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Greg trying to appear like a pastor. Oh, uh, well, not, you know, we're not committing to that. You know, we might have some other exciting places to go. <laughs> well, as it turned out, Tracy was going to be cooking dinner for a friend and his family. Well, there goes one kid and two grandkids. All right, so we ended up going over to see our son, Drew, at his home. A new house for him, uh, and he has moved in with uh, several roommates, and the only time we'd ever seen it was when three people, three guys, in their mid to late 20s, had just moved everything in the house. You can imagine that Greg, who understands Maureen's fantasy holiday, did not think that this was going to be a place that I would like to go. I prayed. <laughs> And he and I were not agreeing with it about it at all. Anyway, 
Greg finally looked at me after Justine spoke and said, well, why don't we just go to Drew's? <laughs> now, I want you to know that we love our son, but he loves me more. He wanted me to have that fantasy that I got locked in my head from being an American for a lot of years. I've had my share of weird holidays. I have. I cooked once for um, about half my family and half his when we were uh, many fewer. Yeah, you know, that turkey roaster that you think is so cool and it doesn't work. That can make a 25-year-old panic when she's hosting 20 people. Then our electricity went out for the entire day. Fortunately, we didn't open the oven, the, cookie, the turkey cooked, and my sister-in-law, who is many years older than I, just told me a couple weeks ago, that was my favorite Thanksgiving ever because it was about people. I couldn't do it all because we were having to cook the rest, the entire rest of everything on top of the wood stove. Great. I really wanted to look like, you know, June Cleaver. Hello. Everything's done. Come on in. Didn't happen. So this Sunday, or this, uh, sorry, this holiday, we went over to see Drew. And uh, we first went over to Tracy, to see Tracy and her friends, and uh, brought cinnamon rolls. Fabulous. A little weird because we don't normally travel out to see people to deliver non-traditional Thanksgiving food. We got in the car with a 20-pound turkey and everything else that I'd cooked early that morning. <laughs> Everything's half-cooked. You know, you can actually take a turkey out of the oven, wrap it up in everything that you can wrap so it doesn't spill in your new car, and in a blanket in the whole nine yards and get it in, and no one was poisoned. We all lived to tell the tale. I'm just saying the blessing for us was that as Drew is sitting around this little table, just he and one of his roommates were home. They had cleaned, as boys clean, everything looked very nice. It was very warm. He set out appetizers for his dad in front of a really big TV, so there's football all around. What happened was, all of my fantasy kind of dropped away when I realized that we were there to be able to spend time with our son and his roommate. I don't know where his roommate stands about the Lord, but as I'm in the kitchen, he's chatting with me about, oh, you know, my mom, you know, she ran a, our church's bookstore. I didn't want to stop and like, oh, that's the whole point. Why don't you tell me all about your relationship? Well, I, we just talked, and we just kept talking. Greg's mom and dad and two of his brothers stopped by just to say hello on Thanksgiving because they were going someplace else. It was wonderful, and Drew was panicked. It's one thing to get your mom over the hump of, we don't clean corners like you do, mom, and there could be this or there could be that, but having grandparents come over. My mother-in-law walked into his kitchen and said, this reminds me of the house I grew up in, but Drew, it wasn't nearly this fancy. Well, you know, when you tell a frat house guy <laughs> his house is fancy, he just beamed. And as we sat down at dinner, my sweet son Drew, who you might not always think is sweet, but he really is, <laughs> when he's back there pounding drums. He got to be the head of the household. And uh, his friend said, well, kind of like it's the short straw. You get to pray. And uh, Greg said, yeah, it's your place, Drew. You get to pray. And he kind of scooted back and said, but I'd really like to find out, what are you thankful for? And just in that moment, I thought, if I had been so connected to what I thought that day needed to look like, I would have entirely missed what God's idea of what my day was supposed to look like mm -hmm. entirely. And as Greg and I are sitting there, and his roommate says, well, I'm really thankful to be here because you will never know how hard it is to have a Thanksgiving all by yourself yeah. when you're single. And, you know, of course, it would be so uncool for me to burst into tears. I knew it. I knew it. Because I, I didn't know it. I really was so 
I think I've always been so tied to my fantasy holiday. And we're coming up on Christmas, which is way worse. But um, I would say for us, the blessing, the huge blessing was that it was completely different. I didn't cry. I almost cried at the table because of what, you know, this nice young man said. But what a tremendous blessing that I would have missed if I hadn't paid attention at all to what the Holy Spirit was trying desperately to pry my little fingers away from my preconceived ideas about what an American Thanksgiving was supposed to be like. So that was it. I'm going to let Greg share because that's what we're here for today is just to hear what the Lord has put on his heart. I think that was good enough. We can just go home. Yeah, no. Yeah. No? Sorry, you're still up. And this young man who uh, Drew has befriended, uh, I called him after we were finished, and I, I said, Mark, I want you to know that um, you live with Drew and you're part of the family. And there was, a, there was a, a, like a long pause. He said, Greg, thank you so much. He said, uh, same, same to you. If there's anything you ever need, just would you let me know? He said, Drew's a great kid. And uh, it, it really was. It, was. it was a real great Thanksgiving. Very different. Very different than what we'd known. I've been uh, really intrigued with the stories about Peter. If I use the word Simon and Peter, you're going to know that it's the same person. About Simon and Peter in this series about empowered. And the reason it's hit me so hard is because I have been going through a really uh, tough place. In my 30-some years, 35 years plus in the profession um, of teaching, um, I got a wake-up call this summer. Um, I don't mean from... Sleep at 11 a.m. since I had the summer off, but uh, I got a wake-up call from uh, uh, the staff, uh, from somebody on staff, somebody I trusted and loved, and and they gave me some news that it was very, very hard for me to digest, and I wanted to walk out of the meeting. I wanted to uh, pitch and roll and get out of there as fast as I could, and uh, the Lord's direction was to stay and to listen. And I stayed and I listened and I, I heard some things that I, I don't think I've ever heard said about me before. And um, it really hit me hard. I, I don't think I prayed or lifted my Bible or um, did anything like that spiritual for a couple, three days. And when I finally did, I went to the Lord in prayer and I said, Lord, um, I want you to tell me um, how untrue this is, what this person has shared, what the staff thinks. And I want you to undo this stuff and, and make it right for me. Tell me I'm okay. Well, son, a, a couple of these things you can't excuse because they were exaggerated. But, you know, son, I want to talk to you about a couple other things while we're at it. Because you really don't have it together. You're really not at the top of your game. You're really not the person that you think you are. You know, the, the Bible says don't let any person think too much about themselves more than they should think. I think I was at that stage. And I let that sit with me for a while. And, you know, it, the picture I got before I told Kurt that I would do this message, I'm not kidding. This is so unspiritual. <laughs> the, the message I got, the, the picture I got, I should say, was things going kerplunk. If you remember this game? You remember this game? And all the marbles come out besides all the sticks. And life goes kerplunk. And I thought, and that's happening to me. <laughs> I've gone kerplunk. I, I, I'm not sitting at the top. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting at the bottom. Yikes. It was, it was a revelation. And, you know, Kurt shared like that, too. I was so surprised with Kurt sharing last week. And um, we're talking about equipping. And here, you know, here I am. And Kurt was about confessing. It wasn't about empowering. It was 
confessing. And empowering is about being prepared and equipped by the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, my dad wrote me a letter when I was, a, um, when Maureen and I were first married, he wrote me a letter. I've, I kept it for the longest time. And it talked about um, how he saw me as impetuous Peter. That really bugged me. <laughs> you know, my confirmation name was John. You know, the beloved, right? He, next to Jesus, you know, at the Last Supper and... I'd rather be known as John, not Peter, thank you very much. Impetuous Peter who would, you know, say the right thing in one minute and step his foot in it in another. You see me like that, Dad? <laughs> you really see me like that? And in looking at the message um, for this and going kerplunk, um, I thought about Peter. I thought about Simon Peter. I thought about a couple of things. Let me give you a preview. One was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus took uh, Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain, and he uh, became transformed before them, and here shows up Moses and Elijah. And Peter, what does Peter say? Hey, it's great that you're here. I filled three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What was he going to do, charge admission? <laughs> What's he going to do, run a Jesus fair through there or something? You know, but he just opens his mouth, and, you know, boom. And then while he's speaking, God the Father speaks. This is my beloved son. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt in that moment? How about the Sea of Galilee? Jesus comes walking on the water at night. Is that you, Lord? It sure is, Pete. If it's you, let me come out there with you. Come. Peter gets out there. Can you imagine? You know, he's just kind of doing a strut because there's nobody else that was called out of the boat but him. He's the one that had the faith to do it. And he's walking out there. He must have felt pretty good about that. And then he started looking around. And he said, help, <laughs> help, I'm drowning. So one minute he's on top, and the next minute he's kerplunk. Why do our lives go kerplunk? Why does God allow us to be deconstructed? There's probably a better term for it. What's his purpose in it? Why isn't the Christian life one in which once we receive Jesus, we just live happily ever after. I, I don't know. I, I guess that's the, the idea I got once I got saved. And then after a few weeks, things changed. But why does life go kerplunk? So that's where we're headed this morning, this really cheery topic. <laughs> and I'm going to ask uh, John Y. to pray. Where are you, John Y.? Thank you. Would you pray for us? Would you lift up... Uh, well, please lift me up and lift up another church. And Kurt and Julie as well, would you, John? Thank you. So, Lord, we just thank you that, that, you're, that you're speaking to us in a, in a real way, Lord, that each one of us um, has a message and a story yeah. that will lift up and edify and um, just help each one of us to move forward. So, Lord, I pray for Greg this morning that, that he would... Um, that the message that you've put on his heart uh, would minister to us, um, Lord, that we would be changed and that we would see you in it, Lord, that, you, Lord. that we would hear what you're trying to say. Yeah. And, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would be with um, uh, Kurt and Julie right now as they're uh, visiting family. Lord, I pray that you would uh, refresh them, encourage them, and uh, bring them back to us safely. Thank you, Lord. And finally, Lord, I just pray you'd... Um, uh, be with Eastside Foursquare, and that as they're uh, meeting this morning, yeah. Lord, that, that you would meet them uh, in a special way. Uh, touch their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Thank you, John.
don't know about you, but with my relationship with God, I, I will often ask him things and the Lord will answer in some way or another. I hear you, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Oh, thank you, God. I'll handle the rest of it. Thanks. God shows me the way to go, and I work really hard to make it work my way. God has a wonderful life for my plan. I fill, did you get that? Yeah. I fill in all the blanks and dot all the I's and I cross all the T's for God. I want him to know that I'm hard at work for him. I'm constructing the way, thank you very much, and I'm writing the answer to the rest of the story. But like Peter, he's reconstructing me. Peter learned, oh man, how many times? Peter learned kerplunk, deconstructing. Let's take a look at uh, a passage in Luke 9. Uh, one day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Wow. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then, that's Jesus, sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. When, <laughs> when did Peter think he could reprimand? That, that's a pretty strong term, reprimand Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happened to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Wow. Wow. Jesus affirms Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Messiah of God, but when Jesus clarifies all that he will have to go through as Messiah, that it's his mission to suffer and take away the sin of the world. Well, Peter so loved and so cared for Jesus, he took Jesus aside and said, you know, Lord, it can't happen like that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I want you to note something here, that Peter is not demon-possessed, and he's not being demonized. I'm sure that Peter had great intentions in telling Jesus this. Peter, who's going to be the leader of the early church, tempts Jesus so that he can get out of it. But Jesus has heard this before. Jesus has heard this before, not from Peter. You know who he's heard it before from? 
Satan in the wilderness, in the desert. When Satan tried to, to, to get him to see, you know what, if you're the son of God, if, then do these things. You don't have to face what you're going to face. Jesus had heard that before, and Jesus dismissed it. Jesus recognizes where this notion comes from, the source of Peter's intentions. Realize this, that there's another agenda at work in what Peter says. Peter meant for it to be helpful, but it becomes harmful to the mission of Jesus. I think of the times that I'm trying to be helpful for other folks, or maybe that I'm trying to be helpful because I think I know so much. And am I ending up being hurtful? My intentions are good, but also, as my father used to say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> I'm sure Peter's intentions were good and maybe just a little puffed up since upon those words, Jesus would build his church. But I'm also sure that Peter felt the sting of what Jesus said. But you know what? Peter continued to follow Jesus. He didn't shrink back because Jesus loved Peter and Peter knew that. Peter still designated the head of the church. Jesus didn't take it back. He said, by, he didn't, Jesus didn't say, by the way, Simon Peter, you can't be the head of the church now because I called you Satan. <laughs> Boy, Jesus' point for us comes in this, in these words. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. In these things that were shared with me at school, I could see that it was not God's way in what I was doing in some of these things. Yes, with the students, I am always available. I am helpless when it comes, when I say helpless, when they ask me to do something, I will always help them spiritually, no matter what I can do, educationally, whatever I can do with families, whatever it might be. But when it comes to the staff, I just know just a little bit more than you do. Thank you very much. And here's the thing. I, I tell people, the steering team's heard me say this. You never graduate from servanthood. Well, where was that when I related to people on the staff at times? Where was that when I was pulling my weight around? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. See, this goes back to 24-7. We are to be tuned in with him with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not leave us as orphans, he said, but he left us the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us into all truth every day. Every day, 24-7. Every day, 365. He doesn't want to stop having fellowship with us. He doesn't. He doesn't want to stop speaking to us. Walking in the Spirit is to be an everyday occurrence. It may change daily. You know, one day I might walk by a homeless guy and just empty my pockets because the Holy Spirit has said so. But the next day, if I feel, oh, well, I need to empty my pockets again, my wallet to that. No, not today. Not today. And by the way, feel free to empty your pockets with the Salvation Army, would you, this time of the year? I dare you to do it. I dare you to do it. You will help someone. The Salvation Army, I'm not trying to do a commercial. I just know how they operate. I've known people in the Salvation Army. Boy, it's, they're a great organization. And they serve the Lord Jesus. There's a book that, um, that, I, that I read in comparative politics that I have with my class. It's called, when, Are Things Fall Apart? <laughs> That's like this game. 
when our things fall apart. How many ever played this game? Anybody? How about Jenga? That's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Boy, things fall. Don't you feel bad when, oh, right? Things fall apart. How about another one with Simon Peter? Jesus at the Last Supper. And he turns, and he's talking to his disciples, and then he turns to Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan, there he is again, showing up there. Satan's showing up again. Has asked to sift each one of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. You see what Jesus says there about, you know, uh, sifting, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. Does anybody know what that process looks like? This is the first part of it. <laughs> this is the first part of it. Yeah, Lord, go ahead, sift me. You go ahead and sift me, Lord. It'd be better than Satan doing it. I, you know, somehow, <laughs> I, I don't think so. That's the first part. Wham, bang, bash. <laughs> and here's the, here's the next part. Here's the modern day part of sifting. How's that? <laughs> you know, I think that Satan knew that if he got to sift Peter, that maybe Peter would stop and he would not follow Jesus so closely. But Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. So when you've turned again after their kerplunk, when, look at that. <laughs> after their kerplunk, Peter, that you'll be okay and turn and help your brothers. What's the point of sifting? It's to take off everything that's not needed, to take off the rough spots and leave the sweet part that you can actually eat. God knows what needs to be deconstructed with me, and I'm trusting him for it. We know the result of this sifting. <laughs> Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. He has prayed for us. Jesus has prayed for us. He's interceding for us even now. Hebrews says. God wants us that when we're restored, when we see, even in the middle of it, even before the purpose is seen by us, to encourage others. Even if we're in the middle of something. Don't think that because you're in the middle of something and you're being sifted or that you've been deconstructed that you cannot help other people. Comfort them with the same comfort that God has comforted you. 2 Corinthians talks about that. In the middle of, this is, this is one of the things I'm learning about being deconstructed. That it, things don't have to be perfect. Oh, I'm having a bad day. Well, okay. I'm not having a bad day like the deacon is, or like the canon is, canon white. You having that kind of day? <laughs> threatening, your life threatened, being held hostage, you know, that's, my, I'm having a bad day. Oh, your car died. You didn't, but your car did. That could be a bad day. I get that. But you can still minister in the middle of that. Let's look at some 
positive things about Peter. Because even with the kerplunks, after Jesus is raised from the dead and goes into heaven, there's some positives about Pete. Preacher Pete, Acts 2. The Spirit's poured out and Peter responds in the Spirit. He preaches and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Woo! <laughs> Way to go, Pete. Acts 4, bold Pete. He, he defends the faith and he defies the ruling Jewish council and their orders to not preach in that name anymore. And Peter says this, decide whether we should obey you or we should, or we should obey God. Wow. That's, that's a different Peter than we're, than we're used to, right? Than we've seen. How about insightful Peter? He sees salvation as open to all that call upon Jesus, not just Jews, but Gentiles too. Boy, this is, I mean, wow. He's a different person. Deconstructed? Reconstructed. Yeah, he gets it. He's got empowered. But then a few years later, we get to Galatians 2. <laughs> and zoiks. <laughs> Peter comes to Antioch, and Paul confronts Peter about his hypocrisy. Peter feared the criticism of the religious conservatives so much that he didn't associate with anyone except those Jews. And here he embraced the Gentiles in Acts 10 and said, look, we can all come to Jesus. And then he decides, you know, maybe it'd be better if I sided with just the Jews and stayed away and didn't eat with the Gentiles. And you know something? This goes along with this that Eric shared. He kept Barnabas out of the community. It confused Barnabas about what was going on. And Barnabas was Paul's good friend. And Barnabas didn't understand. It says in Galatians 2. And here's, here's the end of it. In Galatians 2, after, Peter, sorry, after Paul gets done deconstructing Peter. By the way, it's one thing to get deconstructed by Jesus. How about getting deconstructed by the guy who was once a murderer of Christians? I mean, Peter, I walked with Jesus. You didn't walk with Jesus. How dare you? Is it not clear to you, Paul says, that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Wow. Best and worst. Peter deconstructed by Jesus. And now the worst, deconstructed by Paul. Justine talked about being corrected by an eighth grader. <laughs> I saw your face inside of Jesus' face. <laughs> wow, remember that? Remember that? Have you ever been rebuked by an eighth grader? I've been rebuked by seniors in high school, but I don't think I've ever been rebuked by an eighth grader. They'd end up in the garbage can at my school. <laughs> Just kidding, okay? Just kidding. Ouch. The point is that deconstruction can happen at any stage of our walk. At any stage of our walk. Walk with Jesus for 41 plus years. And I can remember a number of times being deconstructed and wondering, what is your purpose in this God? And God always bringing about the purpose and something better. Maybe not what I thought in the first place. 
but more than I could ever ask or think. No eye has seen, no, no ear heard, uh, nor ear has it entered into the heart of man those things that God has prepared for those who love him. Selah, think about that. You've seen that commercial where the guy says, you know, I'm never getting married. You've seen this one? And then, you know, he gets married and he said, we're never having kids when they're on the plane because the kids are crying. And his, you know, his wife goes, right. And then they have kids. <laughs> he says, we're never moving to the suburbs. We're never moving here. They move to the suburbs. And then they get a, and he sees a minivan. He said, we're never getting a minivan. And then they get a minivan. See, and then he doesn't want to get rid of all, any of it. The point is there that it's better than we ever could ask or think if God is constructing it and not us. Because he'll pull these things out that perhaps we have made up and think that this is better, or maybe it's even spiritual, more spiritual. And it really belongs to us, and it may not belong to him. Peter had his own frame of reference, his former way of doing things. Don't forget, he was in charge and probably the head fisherman of that group. His practices, his past events all played into his frame of reference. And in times of Peter's uncertainty, he returns to that default page. John 21, before Jesus restored him, Jesus is, I'm sorry, Peter's kind of walking around. I'm going fishing. He's going back to what he knew. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm going fishing. Going back to doing fishing. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to hang around here until he shows up. I haven't been restored yet. I'm just trying to, trying to read his mind here. I'm not trying to add to scripture. I'm trying to read his mind. What was he doing that for? Because Jesus wasn't around. He, wasn't, he was confused. He didn't know what to do. You know, Kurt's confession last week about where did that come from when he was angry? The, a place of reaction or defensiveness where we once found comfort, where we once found comfort could be our default page. In the times of our lives when things become ambiguous, vague, and unfamiliar, unsettling, we return to the many default pages that we may have. Those tapes are playing, folks. How many parents have said, I'll never do that, what my parents said. But you want a spanking? Yeah, I've been waiting all day, Dad. Where you been? <laughs> so you wait till you came home. And you go, where'd that come from? See, it's a default page. It's something that, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm going to go, like, it, it could be Kelly or you know, whatever your problem might be. I'm go, I like to go shopping, believe it or not. When I'm in a, you know, like I'm in a, a fit about something. I'll, I know, Maureen, you didn't want me to say that. But I'll, I'll go shopping, you know, to relieve the struggle. What, what is that? That's a default page. That's a default page. I'll get really mad and I'll get really defensive sometimes. That's a default page. I don't walk around the school three feet off the ground and go, yes, hallelujah, Mr. Thatcher is here. I don't do that. You know, I come to school, you know, that's after an hour and 10-minute drive, and I'm just like, oh, what are we doing today? Anything productive? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm just like you in that. I need God to construct me every day according to his Holy Spirit. And my construction will be different than yours because your relationship with God, though we have the same elder brother in Christ Jesus, we have a God who made us so individual and so um, unlike one another that he has a plan for you 
but it's different than the plan that he has for me. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be somebody else. I don't know if Peter thought he could be more like John or be, later be more like Paul. Or God wanted Peter to be himself. That's who he made the head of the church. That was the guy that encouraged others. That was the guy who stepped up. Be yourself. Be yourself. And ask God what's that supposed to look like. You know, I, I, I just got a question, and sometimes when I read this, I, I think, hadn't Peter, Peter been through enough, enough change that he wouldn't have to ever go through that? Couldn't he just live happily ever after in the bosom of Jesus and write all kinds of letters to all kinds of churches? You know, it's kind of funny to me that the head of the church, the first head of the church, Peter, only wrote two letters. And think of all the ones that Paul wrote. And Paul thought he was the chief sinner. He said, I'm a late bloomer. I came to Jesus late as one untimely born. And yet, just a few years before dying a martyr's death, Peter writes to the different churches that are starting up regarding their faith. He writes about his faith and what he has discovered on his lifelong mission as a follower of Jesus. There we go. 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. I think Peter saw what we were talking about as far as the deconstruction and the default page. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. From 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master, Jesus. Hey, Peter had learned some things, hadn't he? And it was just a few years to go before he would be martyred for his faith. I love that passage. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience with the Master Jesus. Peter learned. He didn't give up. <laughs> he could have. <laughs> you could have. I could have at different points when God was at work deconstructing our lives. When he, maybe he wasn't, but he was allowing it to happen. Because this was not God's intention that he slay us and say, see, see. Not like that. He's a good dad. He's a, he's a wonderful father. He told us, Jesus told us we were going to get pruned. I remember in the middle of this thing in August when all this was coming down, <laughs> what I thought was, you're going to get pruned from the knees down, son. <laughs> 
from the knees up and from the knees down, so get ready. And it was, oh, no. I'm not saying that was God. I'm just saying, man, you're going to get pruned. You know why? So you, can, so you can bear good fruit. And the stuff that doesn't count, that's the stuff that's going away. The stuff that doesn't help you grow, that chokes you out, it's going away. And he's going to keep what he put in you in the first place so that grows, so that becomes sweet, so others see it, and they want it too. It's attractive. And apparently, it's a lifelong process. Let me go back to my kerplunk. You know, I went to God to help me with this. And at the end of August, actually four days before my birthday, I just turned 60 last August. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm finally middle-aged. Um, yeah. I wrote these things down about what I believed the Lord wanted me to work on. And I go back to these about once a week. And can I tell you that I've made some progress, but I've failed in other ones miserably still. Or still, because old people whistle through their teeth. Um, that's what Maureen said anyway. Um, in the middle of this that the Lord gave me, it says this. It says humility. You know, they say if you recognize humility, you're really not humble. So I don't know if I should share that or not. But, you know, this is not something that's often talked about in Christian circles about humility. And yet humility is a factor that Jesus carried with him all the time when he walked here. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And you know, I thought, sorry, I, I kind of thought, yeah, I've learned all the lessons I need to in humility. You know, in, in the end of the 1800s, this guy that was the head of the patent office in the U.S. said, everything that can be invented, I think, has been invented. There'll probably be not a whole lot more patents. <laughs> really. <laughs> you know, when I think of humility, oh, yeah, I've learned plenty of lessons in that. That's good. Yeah, I, I, I'm humble. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. And Philippians 2, 5 through 12 talks about that if you wanted a, a homework assignment. You know, humility sits right in the middle. Of it. There's some practical things in there, but there's some spiritual things in there as well. And man, I got a long way to go. That means I'll probably be around for a little bit longer, huh? Buy, buy some more life insurance. Just kidding. But, you know, God's not mean. He wants me to grow. These kerplunk places... Some, some people don't take this as, as deconstruction. They take it as demolition. And that's okay too, because from demolition, God can raise up something else. Know, know that. Okay? Let what's dead come to life. Okay? If he speaks it, it'll come to life. But I had a friend who, who apparently was going through deconstruction and what he thought was demolition and took his life. And this is a guy I've been close to for a long, long time. There's worship songs that are hard for me to do when I remember this guy playing worship with me. And man, let me tell you, he went through a lot of deconstruction places. And he was very faithful and he was persevering. But he came to a place apparently where demolition was involved. And he just couldn't take it anymore. That's, I, I want you to know something. God will always encourage you in deconstruction, even, even in demolition. 
How many of you went to the kingdom before? Anybody been to the kingdom? Oh, I still want the kingdom. I don't. I'd rather go to CenturyLink Field. I'd rather go to Safeco Field, wouldn't you? But that kingdom had to come down. So those two other places could spring up. It had to be demolished. Remember that day? By the way, taxpayers paid for that. Isn't that nice? And they paid for Safeco. And anyway, my point is this. Sometimes things have to come down if God is going to continue to use you. Can I tell you, I'm in one of those places now. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been in different spots. Maureen and I are in one of those deconstruction places now, and we are waiting to know what the Father wants from us. And if we're ready, we want to serve him. I don't want to go backwards. I want to move forward. I don't mind being deconstructed if it means he can continue to use me for his glory for what he wants. You know, Bruce McCoy and Eric Lee and Adam Lebansky, as well as the worship steering uh, team, have come alongside me just to pray with me and to walk through this place with me. Um, steering team not knowing at times that that was the case because I wasn't even aware of it, but, you know, times of that. But especially Eric Lee and Bruce McCoy and Adam Lebansky just asked me, hey, how can I pray for you? And church, it's so important to have brothers and sisters that you can relate to and pray with that'll just listen to you. They don't have a formula for you to get better. They empathize with what you're going through, not sympathize and feel sorry for you with you, but empathize with us. That's pretty good therapy. That's Holy Spirit therapy. Wow. How about one more from Peter? And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. How about you? Where are your default pages? What's fallen apart lately for you? And maybe you've stuffed it, I don't know. And just, oh, I'll be happy. I'll just, or I'll be mad. And just plug along until I get an answer. You know, what do you think the Lord's up to in the deconstructing phase right now? And more importantly, have you asked the Holy Spirit about that work in you? Because if you ask him, he'll let you know. Because he's... He's the comforter. He's the teacher. He's the one that's going to make Jesus' words come alive to us and empower us. Not the way we think sometimes. You know, you're reaching for um, lettuce at the grocery store and you're just going to start speaking it. That's not, that's not it, okay? That's not it. That's not being empowered. At least I don't think it is. <laughs> I think being empowered is knowing in the moment what Jesus wants what the Holy Spirit is speaking so that his construction goes outward like this is doing, goes outward to other people so we, they can know him and they know who you are so they can come to you and say, man, I don't know what is with you, but would you pray for me? Uh, what's different about all those kinds of things so Jesus can shine out of us? 
I think, I, I think I know that that's being empowered. And like that day at the table, at the Thanksgiving table, with Drew's friend Mark, to know just in those few moments, this is a young man who needs us. That was an empowered moment. I didn't prophesy over him or, you know, have a word or whatever you want to call it. There was a great love and compassion for him. And to hear him talk and to want to embrace him and say, you know what? You're not alone. You're not alone. I want that for Mark. I want that for my kids. I want that for my grandkids. I want that for my friends. And you know, more than that, for the staff that, that I was talking to you about at school, I want, I want to be that guy to them. I want to stop being proud and prideful and thinking I know it all and thinking that a teachable moment means I can tell somebody what to do. No. It means I share the Holy Spirit's compassion and love and tenderness in that moment so they can know him, so they can know him and walk with him. Father, today, Father, today, if we're being hammered to get the sweet stuff out, if we're being sifted to take off everything that's not necessary, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, if that's happening to them, Father, that at this Thanksgiving weekend, they could even turn to you right now and give thanks. God, faith is, we'd reach out to you and say, Jesus, I don't know what this is. I don't have any idea. Why, God? But to reach out a hand and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you through the process. I'm going to walk, I want to walk with you, Lord, because you're tender, because you're loving, because you're kind. Because you're my dad, and that's what you want for me. That's what you want in me, because your son lives in me. God, I pray for those that, that have gone through a place like that, that it not be a formula, Lord, but there be genuine empathy. Comfort that would come from the throne of God. Comfort that would go through them as they're praying for others, that comfort would go through them to others because you bring it. You are the God of all comfort. And Lord, those of us that are maybe somewhere in between, it doesn't mean that we're automatically headed for another deconstruction. It might. I don't know. But Lord, we would faithfully walk with you and not forget. So I will bless thee as long as I live. As long as I live, God, it's not conditional on my circumstances. As long as I live. To be with you. And then, Lord, when you come for me, it won't be much of a change at all because I'll see you face to face. But I've seen and known your character since I've walked here, just like Peter did. Just like Peter did. Deconstruction is not the end of it, Lord. It's a beginning. It's a beginning, Lord. Help us to have new beginnings even today. That is my prayer in the, in the great and precious name of Jesus, that new beginnings would start today 
because our hand goes into yours in this process. And we embrace you, Lord, as you have embraced us. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. We do that this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Greg. We'll take communion now. If you're uh, visiting with us, welcome. The communion elements are in a little cup down under the seat in front of you. I just wanted to say yes and amen and be an encouragement for what Greg just preached because what he what he just preached has been my life the last 10 years. Uh, I've been that grain of wheat with a hammer getting beat on and wondering what in the world, Lord. And I can tell you that after 10 plus years of that, that I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back to being the kind of Christian I was before God said, okay, I'm going to take you deeper. And if you're going through that, it was always an encouragement for me to hear that, man, I'm not the only one. In fact, if you really want to be used by God, if you really want to step out and be empowered, you've got to go through this process. Otherwise, you're just doing it on your own. And if you're going through this, if you're not sure what's going on, um, get connected with some people understand it. That's helped me a lot. Uh, just the many times over the years I've gone to talk to Kurt. And it's been such an encouragement. Get around other Christians who know what you're going through. Not to fix it, but to just be there with you and walk through it with you. Because if you're around Christians who haven't gone through this, if you're around Christians who see God as kind of Santa Claus in the sky and once you're saved everything's just happy hunky-dory after that, it's not going to help you because they're going to want to figure out where you've sinned and gone wrong and try to fix you. And God's trying to take you to a deeper place so that he can then use you. You can then be his glory. So let's take communion together. Father God, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for what you did for us, that you would be broken for us, Lord, and that you would then take us through process that feels like being broken not to hurt us or punish us Father but to clear away the unsavory things about us to make us Lord uh, sweet smelling sweet tasting uh, part of you to this world so Father we just thank you for being broken for us and we take this bread in remembrance of that work Thank you, Father, for the cup which represents your life poured out. We think of this first Sunday of Advent, the Advent season, Father, when we celebrate your coming. And in celebrating your coming, we then look ahead to what you would do on the cross for us. From Christmas, we look ahead to Easter what you really came to do and, and your death and your burial and your resurrection but even beyond that Father we celebrate and look forward to your second coming 
thank you that you came. We rejoice in the hope that you are coming again. And we thank you, Father, for pouring out your life for us, that we could then pour it out for others through you. So let's take this together in remembrance of him, of his deep and great love for us. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Greg.